Welcome back to Jamers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by both Greg Young and Chris Watkins. How are you guys doing, Greg? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm letting, letting you uh, def, uh, take over the hosting detail today so I can uh, just sit back and fire away. What about you, Chris? Uh, not too bad. You know, just uh, enjoying the first winter I've had uh, in like the past three or four years. Uh no, thanks global warming <laughs> for keeping <laughs> New York, uh, you know, sunny and balmy throughout uh, December and January. Uh, but finally getting hit with some snow and some ice and all that fun stuff. Now, how much have you been able to actually enjoy that with the coronavirus going on? Are you, are you able to go outside and enjoy the weather a little bit and see the snow and all that or no? Uh, yeah. So my daily routine is uh, I, I get ready for exactly five minutes a day to drop my daughter off at daycare. Um, so I find a new pair of shoes. You know, I try to switch it up. Find a new pair of sneakers and the same exact outfit every single day. Uh, and my hair is far longer than it has ever been. So I look like a black sideshow bob. It's, a, it's amazing. Uh, so I just put a, a beanie over that and just head out, <laughs> drop her off, and uh, you know, spin around a little bit. And then uh, go back inside and, and never never to return again. Well, if, that's, I, if that's not a new parent, I don't know what it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I, I understand that feeling. I mean, uh, when they just cut off my hair, I think it probably took off two or three pounds, which is good because, uh, you know, as I'm sure it is for a lot of people, coronavirus is uh, not necessarily the best uh, health marker out there. But uh, we're talking a bit about the virus. Obviously, Greg, you put out an article this week where you're really calling for the leak to kind of shut it down. Why don't you kind of elaborate a bit on your thoughts and what you put out in your piece? Yeah. So first off, Adam, A plus transition. I, I as a someone who probably does a little more hosting these days, I just I gotta I gotta st- step back and admire that transition. So nicely done. Um, I, I think for me, I had kind of two basic tent poles of my article. Uh, point number one is that I think you. It's hard to say that the NHL is handling the COVID outbreak effectively right now. Whether it's their fault or not is almost beside the point in a way, but I I think that it's hard to look at it right now with outbreaks on several teams with the idea that there could be transmission in-game, and in fact, it seems probably more likely than not uh, that it is, and just kind of the, the measures that the NHL has taken just aren't exactly up to the challenge that they're facing, and I look at all of that, and I say, okay, that's not great, and But the other thing that I think is even more striking is when you do the math, we have about 10% of the population vaccinated. And all of the estimates say that we're going to have about a third to maybe even half of the population vaccinated by May. So I look at that, I say, all right, there's a unspread or unchecked COVID outbreak right now in the NHL. And the players are maybe a month or two away from getting vaccinated. And I just, I don't, you know, I don't see that trade-off as worth it. I, I just, I think that I would rather the players get healthy. And I, if that means that we have to take a pause, I think it means we have to take a pause. And I say that not just because of concern for the players, but also you have to think about the team staff too. You have to think about players, things like the equipment manager. You have to think about all kinds of other cascading effects 
that we have to say nothing about the public message that it sends to have players just kind of play through something that maybe they shouldn't. And I just, I look at all of those things and I say, yeah, I think this isn't worth it. I think it's time to pause. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I've got some thoughts on my own, but I want to get yours first. I mean, yeah, I think there's a pretty clear directive in, in terms of the right thing to do for like society. Uh, yeah, I think there's a pretty clear directive that we shouldn't be playing sports right now. Uh, I, I even was on the fence about watching games this season. And then uh, after like two weeks of boredom, I was like, all right, fine, I'll give in. They're playing anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think from a perspective of, uh, I think as Greg put it, you know, uh, sports are the reward for a functioning society. And uh, <laughs> we're technically on the brink of societal collapse. I'm, I'm surprised that people have maintained as well as they have <laughs> with everything going on. But, you know, just so much stuff going on outside of the ice. Uh, I think uh, Dougie Hamilton put it best. Uh, he was he, uh, doing an interview today or yesterday saying how privileged he and the other players have actually been to, you know, everybody's still working, trying to maintain. They at least are able to keep their jobs, you know, get still steady pay, get the opportunity to interact with their teammates and their coaches and people outside of their sphere. You know, I tell my wife all the time, I've spent uh, the last uh, basically year just talking to her and a baby for uh, nonstop. And so after a certain point of time, you know, just uh, you worry about people's mental health and stuff. And so I think like it is kind of a slap in the face of the, you know, many people have uh, been affected by COVID myself included um, as well as uh, to what we're trying to sort of emulate uh, for people to follow. Uh, with that being said, I also understand the business dynamics of it. There is a lot of um, uncertainty around the future of the sport and the business and the owners and all that stuff like that. And while I don't necessarily, you know, cry any tears on behalf of uh, super millionaires and billionaires, I also understand that players uh, will be affected by that. Uh, the sports staff have already been severely affected by it. Um, you know, there's still TV deals. There's a lot of uh, we saw with the uh, recent uh, announcements of the severe cuts in Canada uh, um, in terms of sports radio, that there's a lot of there's an ecosystem that's affected by the lack of sports and the lack of content. And so it's not just uh, that. So it, it's a very hard decision to, to make. Um, and I'm probably a little bit more on offense than Greg is, but I also understand like his points are extremely valid and definitely should be taken into account. You know, what's interesting is a lot of the kind of understandable upsetness. I mean, the, obviously the NHL's their protocols are a bit bizarre, right? They don't make make a ton of sense. Uh, Washington fans kind of understand it better than most. I mean, a lot of Capitals players get get suspended um, due to breaking the protocols. But then we see kind of 15 players on the Lightning sitting watching the Super Bowl. Granted, right. they're wearing masks, but is the only real difference there which room they were in when they were watching it. You know, stuff like that, which just doesn't seem to quite make sense uh, logically. As, to be fair, ma many public guidelines don't necessarily make sense. You know, where some places on indoor eating or it's okay to do this and not okay to do that. And they don't necessarily make sense. But um, the thing that kind of stands out to me in this whole argument is a lot of the people upset were also incredibly outraged when there was talk about the NHL trying to buy vaccines for their players. Right. So, I mean, they wanted to make it so that it would be less risk of transmission and really make, make just make the game a bit safer for, for all involved, including all the staff that Greg mentioned. I mean, revisiting that issue now, seeing what we are seeing with these guys and, and kind of this spread, do you think that the NHL should have pushed harder to get the vaccines and maybe that the public kind of outcry was a bit overblown? Great. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to jump in on this one. So, you know, I I hear that it was the same conversation with the NBA, um, as well as talking about um, whether it made sense to buy their own vaccine or sort of work with the private manufacturer. We even saw this uh, constraint with the test. Um, and unfortunately, like I think from the NHL's perspective, as uh, important as it uh, is to the viewing public that enjoys the sport, as important as to the players and to the league as a whole, in the, in the grand scheme of society, it's ultimately not that important. Um, when you have, you know, 450 plus, 450,000 plus people dead, um, you know, millions of cases. And while we're seeing a downturn, we're still seeing a significant uh, lack of movement in terms of getting people vaccinated, getting people, uh, you know, return back to work and school safely. And so in the grand scheme of society, and we're, and we're seeing this across the board, you know, I live in New York and we are continuously seeing stories of people who are being uh, the most negatively affected by covid being leapfrogged by people who have the resources and the ability to get a vaccine, but not necessarily the risk. And I, I think it's the same thing with the NHL. While, yes, uh, it'd be great if the players can go out and play safely and all that stuff, what kind of message does it send, particularly to uh, even the many fans that are struggling, either that can't go back to work or, you know, can't, you know, leave their house because of COVID, uh, to leapfrog them and say, hey, these millionaires are, are taken care of, but you are going to have to, you know, figure out some way to do childcare while also waiting on, on a stimulus check that's been, you know, months overdue and stuff like that. So in a league that's already sort of been bandied about with bad optics in the past, you know, 12 months, I, I don't think it's going to do them any favors to be seen as sort of jumping the line uh, for a vaccine um, before they're ready. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to argue that, you know, I think that it, the, the only logical counterpoint you could even have is that the, I, there's obviously a lot of vaccine skepticism just in terms of people taking it and not. So I think mean, maybe you could say it, it's a good public health thing for the prominent athletes to go out and say that this is safe and that they're using it. But I, I tend to agree with Chris. I think on balance that you look at it and I think just the kind of idea that the NHL would be jumping the line when you have a lot of people that really need it, particularly over the age of 65 and are high risk and can't get it right now, I think the optics of that kind of counter that uh, to to a pretty strong degree. Yeah, Greg brings up a good point. I mean, excuse given for why members of Congress got the vaccine prior <laughs> to a lot of the members of the public, but I think you're full of shit if you say that LeBron James getting the vaccine wouldn't do more for people's confidence than AOC or someone else getting it. I mean, the people that are really going to drive the needle here are the, are the people that are the most visible. And um, now hockey players don't have the same visibility as, as players in the NBA. But uh, I, I don't think that's an illegitimate argument to make, especially when it's already been used by politicians to get themselves vaccinated <laughs> uh, in front of other people. So let, 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 let's move on and talk about something that more is maybe – uh, a bit less depressing, but <laughs> based on how they played recently, probably not. Uh, Chris, I, I don't know how much of the Capitals you've been seeing. Um, they, they're 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 all about blowing leads right now. Yes. Or sometimes when they're even playing a shitty team like the New York Rangers, they don't even get the lead. So why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're seeing with Washington? Yes, I did. You know, a little bit of a catch up uh, uh, <laughs> uh, prior to the call, and uh, then watched a couple of their recent games. I, I think against Philadelphia and, uh, and the Rangers. Um, and stuff. Uh, it's it was a fire wagon hockey, um, to say to say the least. Uh, just looking through, uh, you know, some of the the goals that they've given up, uh, some of the defensive mistakes that they've had, and it's just like uh, a comedy of errors across the board. I mean, it, and, and it's funny because I think they are 
when Peter Laviolette came on board, I think he was saying, um, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, the quote was, you know, we want to play, you know, uh, straight line hockey, you know, get up and down, so on and so forth. And I actually was on board with that. I thought uh, a lot of people were like, hey, they're an older team. Um, they, uh, you know, that doesn't make sense to try to play a speed game um, when they're not, the, the Caps really aren't equipped for that. And, you know, I'm looking at my data. I was like, actually, they kind of are. Um, I had them as like the second best skating team last year. Um, uh, with the caveat, and I should have, I should have put that in there. Like the best skating team, like going forward <laughs> and not going back. And so, unfortunately, what I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I've seen in the past couple games is just like, you know, they're very aggressive. You, you have the defenseman, you know, playing up. Uh, but if the uh, other team can get through that sort of initial wave there's basically nobody left. And so you see the poor goalies just being left out to dry uh, against a continuous wave of counterattacks and our man rushes and two on ones and so on and so forth. And so uh, I, I, I will say that's probably easier to correct uh, because you can just sort of pull back off the throttle a little bit, um, but it's still pretty bad. Just how much I've seen people just fly by, you know, the defenseman in, uh, in the zone. Yeah, it, it's been a little bit brutal. I mean, I, I will say no matter how bad the defense has been, uh, I think the Capitals gave up five goals on their first 15 shots in Sunday's tilt against the Flyers. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that, uh, I mean, I actually thought Sunday was one of the Capitals best games that they played all year. I mean, the top line looked amazing. I mean, if they, if the Capitals played every game like they played on Sunday, they'd probably be a president's trophy team in a regular season. Uh, Greg, what are you, what are you kind of thinking about the goaltending right now or just kind of what Chris kind of laid out for us? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with a lot of what Chris said. And then I, to kind of build on it a little bit, I think part of the problem is that when you have goaltending that's new like the Caps and you give up a lot of odd man rushes, that's going to result in a lot of goals. And so I think that it's uh, you, you could obviously tell the Caps to throttle it back a little bit. But I think the goaltending, you know, kind of the newness of it. And I mean, who knows what Samsonov is going to look like when he comes back, particularly given that he was talking about how bad his COVID symptoms were. I think that's a huge problem. And then another problem is that you look at the Caps offensive generation numbers. And I think JP wrote an article about this and I've elaborated on this elsewhere, too. The Caps offensive numbers in terms of the shots they're generating at yeah. 5v5 aren't great. And yeah. so you're like, okay, yeah, like maybe they need to throttle it back. But if I throttle it back, like, are they going to be producing like Barry Trotz Islanders levels <laughs> of offense? Like, I don't, I don't really know how that's going to work. So it's a little bit of a Rubik's cube here of difficulty. The Caps have been kind of getting by on their power play um, recently. What else is new? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they've got a very high conversion rate. Um, they've had a high shooting percentage of five on five. Um, not, not every goal has been pretty like the goals we saw on Sunday. Um, obviously with the Capitals bringing in Peter Laviolette, there are going to be some changes. He's going to find guys that he likes the most guys he likes least. Um, and, and with all of the kind of injuries and suspensions, the caps have had, there's been a lot of movement throughout the lines. One of those movements was Jacob Rana going down <laughs> to the fourth line. Um, Chris, uh, like you and I have talked <laughs> years about Jacob Rana, about kind of how great his skill set is, yeah. and really just what a valuable asset he is to the Capitals. Kind of what do you see from Rana so far this year? Where do you think he should fit into a healthy Capitals roster? <laughs> and kind of, does he still got it? Is Laviolette just off base, or what are we seeing here? Uh, I mean, I, I haven't watched Rana specifically this year closely enough to, to say specifically, like, what, what's been his issue. But I will say just, like, pretty... So in previous years, uh, you know, Rana, I think Rana was the top uh, uh, producer in terms of war last year for the for the Caps. 
Um, I had him projected to lead the team again uh, this year. Um, and I think he's one of those... I think he's one of those players that should be given the leash that someone like Kuznetsov normally gets, where, you know, uh, Kuz has had a couple of up-and-down seasons the past couple of years, especially on the defensive end of the puck. Um, but, you know, his you know status within the team is rarely ever in question, and I feel like Ron has not afforded that same opportunity. And so even in situations where he's, you know, sort of struggling, I haven't really seen anything from the data or from watching the game tape that suggests to me that there's anything in particular that he's doing wrong. Uh it just doesn't really sort of make sense in terms of um, why he would, why you would put him in position to succeed. Um, one of the things I'm looking at uh, from a data perspective is sort of like when you think about building your lines and building your team, there's certain players who are like cornerstones and sort of uh, the sort of foundational players that you should have on a line where, you know, you're not going to move uh, Ovi down to the fourth, uh, fourth line. You're not going to move Basham down to the fourth line unless in a dire circumstance. Um, and so there are players you should sort of have slotted in guaranteed in the top six and then you build players around them that maximize their skill set and i think rana if not currently is one of those players is one that should be considered that way um so if the she was on the other foot and we're talking about you know Bastion, you know bastion was having an amazing start to the season but let's say Ovi, you know went oh uh i had a 10 game goalless streak well you probably switch up the lines and try to identify some other players that can play with him that you know that can give him the puck um that can you know bring the puck into the zone that can uh, uh get the puck from the other team um, and, and find a way to get that guy to produce. And I think it's the same thing with Rana. You know, his shot numbers are obviously way down, but I think that's probably more a function of you putting putting him next to fourth liners is not going to increase his offensive productivity relative to what it should be. And honestly, I don't think it's the best way of maximizing his talent. So I think, you know, Laviolette, and, and we've seen this sort of uh, in spades in, in a variety of instances with like Thomas, uh, with Connect Me and uh, Philadelphia with uh, Patrick Laine and uh, and Columbus with Anthony Mantha in Detroit, where players struggling are not doing exactly what the coach says. And instead of identifying sort of ways to get around that or ways to strategically deploy them differently, it's either you're sitting on the bench altogether or we're going to play you in a clearly send a message uh, role on like the fourth line. And I don't agree with that philosophy uh, whatsoever. But, you know, we'll see if it takes. But my my doubts are, are very strong at this moment. Now, I. I've got a follow up for that, but Greg, I want to get your thoughts first. I mean, what, what do you kind of, I mean, obviously you're, uh, I mean, Vron is no Orlov to you, but he's still high up on your list. Of <laughs> well, Orlov's players. been bad this year. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Everything like that. I will, I will call the spade a spade there, but um, a lot of my love of Orlov, I think was contingent upon him being good. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm a little show. <laughs> very very conditional. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, Adam, if Burakovsky had all of a sudden started being bad, then like, which, which I mean, he had stretches where he wasn't ideal, but I, you know, I don't know if he ever got bad level. Like, I, I feel like you would have, you would have been honest with that too. So I will, uh, I will, I will try to put my analyst hat on, but I think you were going to ask me about Vrana and yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Chris is saying. And it was, I think I, you just wonder like, is there a way the Caps can kind of shuffle the lines with so many people out that could maximize Rana's skill set. And yeah, I think it, it's, it's a tough puzzle right now. And I mean, the Caps obviously with Kuznetsov out, they don't have a ton of defense or a ton of center depth. So who you pair Rana with is going to be tough, but yeah, I think that you have to figure out if you're Laviolette, the right kind of way for Vrana to get back shooting again, because I, you looked at the development, particularly he took the last year, and it was because his shot rate started skyrocketing. 
And so seeing that decline is really worrying. And I think playing him on the fourth line, I, I guess once can be okay, but the other kind of problem is that I mean, it's a 56-game season. Who knows how many games of these they're actually going to play? I, I don't see the point in throwing him on the fourth line, even if it's just for a game, because you're throwing away one of your better offensive weapons to maybe send a message that isn't going to, you know, even if it holds, like, I just, I kind of question the logic there. So, yeah, it's not ideal, and... I, you know, you hope that with the Caps' emphasis on trying to play straight line hockey, Vrana would be one of the guys that you would think would benefit from that. And uh, the fact that he hasn't is troubling. So, Chris, Greg Hughes brought up the term kind of using ice time as punishment. And this was kind of what I wanted to follow up with, yep. with you on. I mean, you're a guy who watches a lot of sports. I mean, you, you watch. <laughs> actually, I don't know how much football you watch. I know you and I have talked about basketball in the past. Um, using playing time as punishment. How often do you see that used in the other sports that you watched? And like, how effective even is that as a strategy to get guys to change behavior? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in baseball, I don't think it has much an effect at all. You know, I think, you know, guy, if a guy is struggling, you know, with their swing, uh, I don't think sitting them down necessarily, you know, makes them better. Um, in basketball, there is some value to it, particularly uh, if they, uh, where you see it most often is, you know, a star rookie who's not committing to the defensive end, um, you know, they're they're going to come off the bench or something like that, but you rarely see you rarely see obviously uh, the the frequency that you see in a hockey where you know a guy will come off the bench for maybe a game or two or whatever, but you won't see it four or five times throughout the season. Like that's basically like a nuclear option for a coach. They send the message, and if that doesn't work, then they're kind of screwed over. But I think also in basketball, like if a player isn't playing well defensively, then you I, you can go to the game film, break down like, hey, you forgot to go over the screen, or you forgot to you know. Uh, crashing for the rebound. There's things you can point out that the player has to do. And until the player does those things consistently uh, on a regular basis, you say, like, okay, you're not going to get this playing time or so on and so forth. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, same thing with football. You know, football, you know, playing time is less of a thing. Uh, I mean, if you're a cornerback that gets, you know, beat for a couple touchdowns, you know, you might get swapped out. But once again, that's probably a more permanent switch than a, a message sending thing. And so, once again, I think. The difference between those other sports is, yes, playing time is used as a sort of a carrot or, you know, a stick. But I think, you know, going back to my time playing sports, I had coaches that I, I was a great defensive player, uh, but I couldn't dribble or shoot whatsoever. Uh, and, and my coach was like, well, I need you to contribute more on offense. I'm like, how? Where, where do I need to stand? What do I need to do? Who do I need to pass the ball to to contribute more on offense? And if you can't elaborate on what that is other than that you're not performing to the level I expect of you then that, unfortunately, is not very indicative of how I'm supposed to get better. And so even for Vrana, like, my model, you know, he, uh, as Greg said, he had great shot metrics last year. That's so far beyond his, like, career standard that, like, my model had him sort of regressing back to a very good level, like a B-plus level of shot metrics, but not nearly at the level he had last year, just because it's, like, so far beyond what he's done. And that's basically, like, the level of performance he's had this year. And so from a coach's perspective, um, and, and this is the same issue with Anthony Matha, obviously our friend, the uh, percent was going into this the other day where it's like, well, if Anthony would just play like at the level that we know he can every single game, then he'd be an amazing player. I'm like, yes, you can say that for most players. If, players <laughs> play, if a player has their career year every single year, then they're a great player. But that's why, that, that's what separates the great players is that they can do it consistently. And so I think that's the, unfortunately the issue where a coach is like, well, if I could just get this, you know, three point performance every single night out of this player, then like, yes, you have a hall of famer, but that's not that player's level of normal performance. And so I think that, you know, for Laviolette uh, and 
you know, other coaches, they have to understand, like, am I maximizing this player? Am I putting them in the best position to succeed? And if the answer is no, am I doing everything that I can to rectify that situation? Or is it just a matter of that player's performance is just not up to the level that it needs to be? And they maybe are truly a fourth liner that I had at the second line and they're regressing back to the mean. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when we we look at kind of Verona, I like what you said earlier. He needs to be treated like a core piece of the puzzle and almost things need to shift around him to put him in a better position rather than expecting him to fill in an ancillary role for someone else. And I think that's, that, that that I think would be a bit of a departure for what we've seen kind of, well, just kind of how the capitals view him right now. Um, I mean, granted, you know, he's, he's a younger guy where they don't want him to be too central because then you got to pay him a lot of money on the next contract. (laughs) But putting the politics aside to make the team the most successful, Getting Vrana going is obviously essential. And, you know, we, the Capitals haven't had a lot of games with Kuznetsov in the lineup. And right. fortunately, at this point in Ovechkin and Backstrom's career, the team will largely probably hinge on Kuznetsov for how successful they're going to be. Um, Greg, I, I know that you love the, the Canadian division. Uh, you, you love watching <laughs> these kind of teams that, that don't know how to play defense. And it looks like Alex Ovechkin would put 60 goals up in this shortened season <laughs> if he was playing them every game. But like, what are, what are your thoughts on watching them play, Greg? I mean, I, I know you've been enjoying it. I have. It's been great. I, like the, uh, I, I mean, in particular, I tonight. I mean, which obviously this is going to be out tomorrow, so uh, you know, <laughs> going to predict it a little. But like, I, you look at, at teams like Montreal and Toronto, and they get to play your Ottawa <laughs> and uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton, and it's just a ton of fun, right? Like. And I guess you you would put uh, Vancouver in that list of teams you'd want to play too. But you just like you have these teams that don't play any defense. I like I have no idea what's going on in Vancouver. Although from <laughs> the reporting, it doesn't sound good. Um, and I mean like Ottawa has been historically terrible. Like they're playing like Detroit level hockey right now, <laughs> and it's just. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> like, I mean, like you have. Um, I I had I had a stat that um, I think it was Dmitry Filipovich tweeted out uh, that it's like Edmonton won their first game since 2017 in which Tricital <laughs> yeah. and uh, McDavid didn't score a point. And I like just like you have these top-heavy teams that play against terrible defensive teams, and it's just a glorious fun mess. And on top of that, we talk about the COVID discussion earlier. Um, the fact is that it seems like the North, for whatever reason, um, I think we know the reason, but um, <laughs> they, they seem to be handling COVID better. So it's a little bit more in the back of my brain versus some of these uh, games in America where sometimes like a third of the lineup is out. And so I think it's just it's just been a lot of fun. Chris, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think almost all the teams in that division that are at the top are vastly overrated. Uh, <laughs> Montreal. Say, but, say but what, what you really think, Adam. I mean, listen, I tell it how it is. And I, I that's only partially due to my personal bias against Montreal due to 2010. <laughs> but that, that aside, Chris, what do you think? I mean, uh, Greg sort of hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, I posted a chart the other day um, that said that the uh, so not only is the defense the worst, but the goaltending is the worst as well. So I think they have uh, slightly worse goaltending in like uh, I think they give up 14, 
14 uh, more expected goals against, uh, 14% more expected goals against than any other division. Uh, so when you have a guy like Conor McDavid and, and Leon Draisaitl just playing against that every night, of course they're going to put up like crazy stats. Uh, but then their team is horrible as well. So you have a 500 team <laughs> uh, despite these historical scoring numbers. And I think that's exactly it. I mean, uh, you know, I have a lot of people jumping into my mentions and just sort of spouting in general, like, oh, look at these, you know, look how great these teams are. Look how unprecedented this is. I'm like, yes, if I could play against the second division, <laughs> uh, you know, if I, if Manchester, uh, Man City could play against the, the championship and, and play, you know, the third tier teams in e- English football, they would probably be historically great, too, uh, on top of what they already are. And so I think there's uh, some retrenchment that's going to happen, particularly when we get to the playoffs and we start to see these interdivision games play. Um, we'll see the gap in quality between uh, these other teams. But uh, it, when it comes to Montreal, so I, I, I will counter a bit in saying Montreal, from a pos- possession standpoint, was really good last year. Um, and I think Claude Julian has been sort of underrated in sort of how well he's gotten that team to play um, from a five-on-five possession standpoint. Um, and so now that they have a little bit more finishing luck, um, which I really don't see sustaining, uh, as good as Tyler Toffoli has been, people conveniently forget he's been a pretty bad player the past couple of years. Like, uh, and, and so my point of view has been there's been a lot of people in Vancouver in particular complaining about how bad the the Canucks offseason was. And I was like, I don't think them bringing back any of the players that they let go would have made their season any better. Like the Canucks played over their head in the playoffs and got lucky due to the format of the system. Like they were getting like ran out, uh, run out the building uh, against uh, Vegas, I believe um, in the second round and just happened to stay in because Thatcher Demko like stood on his head for four games in a row, Um, but they didn't deserve to be on the same ice. And, And so I think the regression was always going to come. It just looks even worse than it already was because of, the players they let go. So it's good for narratives. It's good for stories. I mean, the as we said, the Canadian sports market is suffering and needs whatever you know goodwill they can get. So I'm not mad at it, but I don't actually think it's going to be represent great hockey come playoffs on. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I just, I mean, listen, I love watching McDavid, Dreisaitl, Austin Matthews. Uh, you know, Marner, Nylander, I mean, just happens to be those two guys or, or all of those guys I just mentioned are only on two of the teams because I find the rest to be total snoozers. But, <laughs> I mean, that's just my opinion. I don't know. Greg really likes them. so I do. I do. And, I mean, I I think the, the Nick Suzuki hype train got a little yes. farther than it yeah. should be. But he is, he is fun to watch. I will say that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Pittsburgh. Everybody loves them. Uh, except for all. <laughs> um, Chris? I mean, they, they just hired Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. Um, I'm not sure how significant this will be. Uh, I actually thought Hextall did a pretty good job in Philadelphia. I think he did a great job kind of restocking the coffers and putting them in a position to be kind of six, uh, successful in a sustainable fashion. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on what we're going to see out of Pittsburgh? Because obviously they're not looking to kind of rebuild through the drafts right now. Yeah, I mean, which is... Basically, whenever a, a GM slash coach slash uh, slash owner says we're not going to do a option that is clearly one of the better options for what your team needs to do, that sort of it tells you all you need to know. Um, you know, in, in, I was listening to Burke's uh, interview on 31 Thoughts uh, today or whatever. And he was saying, you know, we'll play out the season and, and see how it goes, which is I feel like is 99 uh, percent of uh, hockey GM's uh, sort of uh, plan of attack. Which is we'll see what how it goes and uh, when I'm forced to make a decision um, where there's only one very clear option, then I will do it. Uh, it's uh, uh, you know uh, 
so like the Jeff Gordon letter that is like, hey, we're going to rebuild. Like, yes, you're out the playoffs. Like, what else are you going to do? Like, <laughs> your team isn't good anymore. Like, of course, you're going to sell off the players. Um, so I, I, I see the same thing. They're going to basically run it back until they can't anymore. And then when it's too late to actually recoup, like, quality assets for the players that they're going to give away, then they'll make the decision. Um, so I believe, you know, it's a competent front office. I like some of the stuff that Burke has done in the past, um, but it's been more misses than hits. Uh, I think Hexall did do a good job of just sort of uh, cleaning up the books, you know, getting some young talent. Uh, but I don't really see them bringing Pittsburgh back to prominence. So it's a lot of money to to get the same outcome that they would have had, you know, had they put any of us in the front office. So, so we'll see how that plays out. Now, Greg, I mean, I know how worried Pittsburgh is about Tom Wilson and, and <laughs> to bring in the guy who's known for truculence. So that being Brian Burke, what, what, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, first off, if people have not read Brian Burke's book, you should read Brian Burke's book. It, er, Brian Burke's book. There we go. I got that right. Um, it is fascinating. And one of the it's like one of those books that like you could just read it. Oh yeah, Brian Burke definitely wrote this. This sounds like Brian Burke, even though it's like on a written <laughs> page. So if you get the chance to do that, highly recommend. Um, in terms of the Penguins, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I with Chris, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I get the idea. I think for at least another couple of years of all right, like let's double it down. Let's see like one more shot. The problem being that. Pittsburgh's already sold off a lot of their assets and maybe for some kind of questionable gains. Uh, and so yeah, I, I, you wonder, like, okay, could you do some kind of, like, double down that doesn't involve a ton of first-round picks or anything like that, which they seem to love to give away for mediocre forwards. <laughs> um, but um, I, you, know, I, you wonder, like, okay, could you see a strategy like that working just because, like, I mean, you're talking if they do decide to really go nuclear on it, they're probably rebuilding for quite a while because their farm system, I think it was, uh, I think uh, the the athletic had them last. So I, yeah, like, I think that they're in kind of a dire position and I don't really see Burke as the kind of guy who's going to be like a tear it all down kind of person. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, mainly just because that's I, I, I don't I, I think it's a legit path forward. But I think in a couple of years, you're really talking kind of in a similar position to the caps, honestly, of we're really having to, like, make some tough decisions here about the long term future in the core. Well, I think a lot of these teams are going to try to follow, follow the Rangers model, which is uh, <laughs> get lucky with the lottery of no rights winning and uh, make the make the playoffs a year after that. So, yeah, we. We shall certainly see. Uh, Chris, uh, I got one last question for you. If uh, Greg gets his way and they've got to kind of suspend the season here, what are you going to do to fill up the free time? And uh, what if any of our listeners can get in on it? (laughs) Uh, I mean, for me, it'd be great uh, because it would give me a chance to to finish the models I've been working on. uh, So I have no complaints about that. Um, You know, it looks like the NBA is doing slightly better, although they're been a a crapshoot as well. Um, so I might watch a little bit of that. I just don't want LeBron to win again. So if it's the season being canceled or some team knocking him out the playoffs, uh, I'm fine with either one of those options. Uh, other than that, uh, I've been watching a, a bunch of uh, old 90s sitcoms. Uh, so I've been watching a bunch of Fresh Prince of Bel Air and uh, probably gonna probably gonna start Friends uh, uh, in a couple of weeks or whatever. So you know I'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean for I, I don't know what Canada's gonna do. I mean it already sucks how cold it is up there during the winter time. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, maybe they'll watch some old 80s Oilers games or something like that. Like, who knows? But, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> Adam, have you watched WandaVision? Have either one of you guys watched WandaVision yet? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm caught up. What, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Now, because, I mean, we're talking about things that people could maybe dive into. Oh, I really enjoy it. I mean, I actually, I, I'm surprised by the amount I enjoy it. But it, I think it's because I, I like the show that lets lets me think about it. And, it, you know, it doesn't put it all out in front of you and just kind of spoon feed it down your throat. It lets you kind of think about it, postulate what's going to happen next and all that stuff. So that's kind of fun. There you go. There you yeah. Go. yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I think the discussion piece around it, like what's really going on. I mean, I think there is, you know, a dearth of that on TV uh, nowadays, uh, just in terms of like, you know, you're not sure what's going on. You're speculating, you're talking and sort of that is the fun, you know, it's just like a, a, a sports, you know, you know, a playoff series or something like that. If you know who's going to win or you know what the outcome is, uh, you know, it's not as fun to watch. But you're watching with genuine suspense. You don't know what the next sort of, you know, moment will bring or what the next twist will be. You know, that's kind of fun. And so I'm confused as hell. Uh, I'm not going to lie, because <laughs> uh, I'm not as up to date on the lore. Like, you know, uh, n- not a spoiler alert, but it's like last season, twi- last week's twist. I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't know. OK, I don't, I, don't know what this, I don't know what this means. But uh, according to all these, you know, blogosphere things, there's lots of meaning behind it. So great. <laughs> yeah. I, I will also say, mainly because my, my girlfriend is obsessed with this show, uh, if anyone gets a chance to watch What We Do in the Shadows, it's on Hulu, uh, I highly recommend it. It's basically, uh, it's like almost like a like uh, kind of The Office-style sitcom, but for like vampires, <laughs> and it's way funnier than it has any right being. So uh highly recommend that if people get the chance. Shannon and I have been watching Upload. Um, yeah. We actually, we actually rewatched it. We've, we've seen it twice in about, like, four months. It's only ten episodes, and they're all pretty short on Amazon Prime. Okay. Really, really I, I am it, – it's probably going to be my favorite show when it's back. I, I don't know what it is about it, but that's another one that kind of lets you, let, lets you think, and yes. I really enjoy those. There you go. There you go. All right, well, uh, Adam, take us home. Well, guys, uh, I really t- appreciate both of you guys taking the time to join us. I know Greg's got a hot date tonight with um, <laughs> some Canadian hockey. Oh, I definitely do. <laughs> I'm mostly Canadian and uh, some uh, defense-free hockey at uh, 7.30. I can't wait. Listen, if I could watch defense-free hockey all the time, I would. But <laughs> I, I got a fair enough share of that in the late 2000s capitals. So, bigger uh, can't be choosers. Chris, why don't, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter? I mean, I'm sure most of our kind of more religious listeners follow you already, but just in case. Yeah, I keep I need to have a disclaimer and they and keep warning people away from doing that. But uh, uh, I'm at yellow <laughs> underscore pinato uh, uh, on Twitter. Um, you know, I have hockey thoughts occasionally. Uh, it's a lot of trolling, although I feel like I calmed that down this year either because I, I just don't care <laughs> as much. I just want things to get back to normal uh, and then I'll be in full troll mode. But yeah, yellow pinato uh, on Twitter. Greg, how about yourself? You can find me at uh, at Greg Y underscore Jhar. Um, I I think I've been filling Chris's uh, trolling void uh, because <laughs> I uh, I today kind of half jokingly tweeted, uh, "Oh, it's time to just contract the Nashville Predators and move them to Quebec." So, which is just something I kind of felt like saying, even though it doesn't make any sense. So uh, you can find me there, and uh, you can find my stuff because I am writing again. Like, finally, I think I'm starting to ramp back up a little bit. But you can find my stuff at uh, Japer's Rink, which is a fine website. You can find me on Twitter at Stringham A. Uh, you can find Greg and I both, mainly Greg, 
at Japers Rink Radio. Uh, thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, your continued support makes it worthwhile. Hopefully we'll still have hockey to talk about moving forward. Uh, feel free to go on and give us a five-star review on iTunes. If it's not five stars, don't have to leave it. Just kidding. <laughs> but we'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio.